Yeah, sometimes, you know, how about a little sample? I, I couldn't do it now. I mean, you usually need some kind of motivation. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. We usually build a whole piece around yeah, it and yeah, do I, a fall I, and the whole thing. We yeah, don't do that I this know, year, I don't think. I last know, year sometimes happened to me too, sometimes. You get motivation I, from that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I... Jimmy! Should be, yeah, okay, I'll be coming. Nice talking to you, nice oh, meeting you. Oh, that's nice. Good okay. luck to you. Good so, see you later. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! Hello and welcome to the Not Ready for Primetime podcast. We're Gary Seath and Brad Robinson. And you're not. This week, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 1, with host Lily Tomlin and musical guest James Taylor. This episode originally aired on September 18th, 1976. Brad, it's Season 2! We're back, baby. Season 2. We're back, and because we're back and it's a celebration of the season, we have a guest. Tell us who's here. We, uh, we have the man who literally wrote the book on Mr. Mike. Uh, Mr. Mike, the life and work of Michael O'Donohue author... Dennis Perrin is with us. Dennis, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Please. Dennis, this is great. We appreciate you joining us. And I can think of no better way to kick off season two than talking to someone like you with so much history and knowledge of the show. Well, let me say before we get into the show, I had just, you guys probably weren't even born when the show <laughs> first aired. Am I guessing correctly? Born? You are correct. No, yeah, yeah, right. I had to do math. You had to do math? Which I September 76, you didn't yeah. know where you were born or not? Well, that tells you where, what I'm working yeah. with here, Dennis. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just starting my senior year of high school Okay. in northern Indiana, and I was already a fan of SNL. Well, Saturday Night, it was called at the time. And um, yeah, I remember this first episode, and it was really interesting because there was this anticipation for this next season. And I know you guys covered the... Um, Two summer shows, yeah, with uh, Chris Christopherson and uh, Louise Lasser, yeah. But then they went away again for like what was it a month or maybe six weeks something like that. And then they come back, yeah. yeah. But there was a lot of anticipation for this among not. I mean, there was no internet, there was no social media, but in terms of like uh, newspaper, like TV writers and things like that, it's like oh, Saturday Night's coming back, and it was next to Python was my favorite show. So I was really, you know, ready. I understand you were excited for the show. Were you excited for Lily Tomlin? Like, what was her space in your world at this time? Well, I actually had a girlfriend who had some of Lily Tomlin's comedy records, albums. So I was familiar with her. And of course, I remember her from the first season. I mean, like, it was like the fifth or sixth show. I mean, she was like early. Yeah. I mean, she was well known. Of course, laughing. I knew her from laughing when I was younger. I mean, I love Lily Tomlin, but I mean, it wasn't Lily Tomlin I was looking forward to. It was uh, it was the show. And it wasn't even Chevy. It was Dan Aykroyd. That's who I loved at first. He was the first not ready for primetime player that, you know, stamped his mark in my brain because of his brilliance, his precision, his weirdness, the fact that he could talk really fast and not fuck up. And, uh, and he was my... First SNL idol was Dan Aykroyd, definitely. He could do anything. I mean, he could do impressions. He could do weird voices. And of course, in the second season, he actually expanded. But the whole show together, too. I mean, I just like the the feel of it. It was, to all of our younger 
listeners, I have to tell you, there was nothing like Saturday Night on at that time. There was no other show like it. I mean, you had Carol Burnett on uh, Saturday nights. That was really the only other sketch show that was on TV, and it was on primetime, and it was, well, you know, I mean, it was much more mainstream, and it was, it owed more to, like, 50s variety right. than anything. And Saturday Night was, you know, Lampoon, uh, Second City, you know, I mean, it, and, and people who normally would not have been on television. I mean, now, you know, everybody comes from everywhere. But I mean, but back then, this was a very specific thing. Yeah, this is you've anticipation's got to be high. And it's got to be so excited to, to, to sit down Saturday night and turn this on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this was aerials, no cable. So, you know, you had to constantly adjust to get the picture. You have like fuzz and. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to the Gary Weiss film. But I had that same comment with the Taylor Mead. I was like, remember watching TV where you take <laughs> the antennas? And yeah, you, yeah. It's blurring. You're, you're turning the knobs and the antenna yeah, at the yeah. same time. No, to get I your went picture. Totally. Yeah. There was nothing like it. And I just, you know, when I went back to watch the episode we're going to review, it just reminded me how special it really was. And and when, you know, when you were there at the time and the moment, it was very special. And there's a reason why it influenced a whole generation of humorists. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're right to your point, especially at the beginning. Should we just get into the show? Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Good. For the cold open, you open on Gilda and Chevy outside the streets in New York City. And to your point, Dennis, right, that in and of itself is an event at that time. Mm-hmm. Turns out that they're waiting for Lily Tomlin to show up because she hasn't arrived. It's 1130. Uh, Chevy makes a remark that she hasn't been there all week. Gilda's trying to tell him how great it'll be because they know Lily. And she finally shows up with this giant entourage. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I, you sort of get a little hint of Chevy's foot being out the door with the cigar, Chevy smoking cigars. Well, I mean, but he's talking about, you know, I've had offers, you know, a gun show, Kojak, you know, so it's sort of, I mean, he's making fun of the fact that he is taking off as a comic celebrity or comic actor, but He's mocking it at the same time, like he would do a Kojak or a Gong show. You know? right. But but it but it is a nod to the fact that he's out the door. Yeah, yeah. And Lily uh, introduces him to her entourage's Jerry. She's had a lot. Everybody of gets a lot of offers. I've had a lot of offers too, but I'm here. I'm like, what offers have you had? Kojak. I've been offered Kojak. I've been offered Hollywood Squares. Okay, gong there, show. there she is. There she is. thing and i i love you know when they go, went through the hallways back then and then the elevators and that was all real time that was live was they great. do a great job like you say she takes the whole entourage they go past the front desk 
the front desk guy calls up to get Mr. Michaels, Lauren Michaels to say this. They get in the elevator and they do a great job of buying time for right. them to get in the elevator and get all the way up. Cause like you said, it's all live. It's all real time. Yeah, and he's going floor, off yeah. this little bit on the phone about then Lauren Michaels yelling at him and asking for his badge number. All his stuff. Badge they, number. they do a great, yes, and then and yes, right on cue doors open on eight. I thought that was wonderful timing. It was great. That was yeah. fantastic. And, uh, and again, it showed the confidence that the show had, I mean, coming off the first season, it was just this confident, like, Hey, we're back. And we're bold and we're just, you know, nothing's going to hold us back. And of course, who better than Lily? Because, you know, Lauren worked with Lily in the early 70s. And in the 70s, uh, was one of the four great American comics. Her, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, and George Carlin. I mean, that was an amazing time for stand-up, American stand-up comedy. And they were the four comedy horsemen, if you will, horse people right. or <laughs> equine people. However it goes. Anyway, um, but but I she's playing the diva. Time. She's playing the diva. She's like, you know, this celebrity. She doesn't know anybody's names. Jerry, Goldie. <laughs> yeah. What did she call Jane Curtin? Joan. And then she gets her name right, and then she calls her uh, Jane Belushi. Belushi. Jane Belushi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, again, Belushi. which, you know, she Her loves. reaction is fantastic. Yeah. Her reaction <laughs> is so good. She has this little man, Pepe, who's like, supposed to be her chauffeur, I guess. Oh, good. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Like I was hoping valet. to bring this up. <laughs> and keep filling her glass with champagne. And, you yes. know, it was really, uh, it was almost like a Fellini kind of a thing. You know, like all these <laughs> weird people. Yeah. I thought this was a great callback. I kept thinking of the Buck Henry open when Buck couldn't get through the front <laughs> right. door. And right. This was like a great callback to the show itself. Like I kept that they were making fun of Buck. Like They were taking shots at Buck with this cold <laughs> open because he couldn't get through and she just breezes in with an entourage. I, mm -hmm. It was like mm -hmm. a little extra thing that I just thought was so fun and so great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and Lauren did a lot of that in the early years, you know, just playing with the access to the show itself, yeah. you know, people outside the studio or in the dressing room or whatever. I mean, he really, it wasn't just in the studio. It was everywhere. The offices. Right. And in this case, the street. Yeah. The street. And then uh, back in the dressing rooms again, because mm -hmm. Lily goes back into her dressing room and we're left with Pepe, Pepe, Pepe. And, and Chevy having a conversation outside of her dressing room as Chevy waits for Lily Tomlin and uh, Pepe trips Chevy into a conveniently placed folding chair. Of course. I'm not going to lie. I'm watching Pepe and Chevy have that conversation in the hallway. Yeah. And in all of my mind, I can think of is he's going to trip over Pepe. I was like, <laughs> he's going to do the fall over Pepe and that's going to be the fall. And so I was, I was relieved when Pepe tripped him and knocked him into a chair, which I thought was a great, well, it, decent fall. It gave him more, it, it gave him more agency, I think. <laughs> yeah. They're just being like a, an ottoman like yeah. dick van dyke or thank something. god i was worried they weren't i was worried they weren't gonna give him that <laughs> and, then, and then he and then he has he comes back at the end of the monologue and pours more champagne and then we never oh, see him right. again yeah no right. we see him oh do we does he we come back at him. the end he does the antler dance no i didn't notice that you could actually see him amid all those people yeah wow <laughs> but anywho well lily lily then comes on for her monologue and talks about how 
she's happy to be back. She wants to do something happy and fulfilling for the viewers and thanks them for bringing her into their lives. Speaking of no changes, they still have the catwalk and the small center stage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the, that is all the same. It's still there. <laughs> yes. Um, and then she says, we'll be right back. The audience applauds and she turns to the stage manager and says, do you think they bought that? And mm-hmm. then Pepe comes back and gives her her champagne. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast monologue, but the cold open was longer than normal. So, and it really wasn't funny. It was just more like, "We're back." Yeah, this is us. Hello, welcome back. They weren't really yeah. going for laughs. No, they were just oh, more I, like you know the presence of them. And I, I had two things as I was typing my notes of this, and I the same thing as you said, Gary. It's very quick, and she comes out, and it's very kind of simple to the point. Like, happy to be here, and I was like, okay, just going kind of honest, sweet happy to be here monologue, whatever, and fades to black. And as I'm typing that, then they come back up. Oh, it's not done. It's not done. They know they did the joke, which I, after I finish, I want to ask Dennis if, if you, if you could remember watching that, if you actually, you know, how you took that watching it live. But the thing I took away from the monologue, regardless by the end is it's interesting. She doesn't mention, you know, Hey, it's season two season premiere. Doesn't mention oh, yeah. like, a lot's changed yeah. since the last time I was on. It was almost right. like they just took a two week break. It was just, they made no big <laughs> pop, no pop in circumstance. She's like, here we go. Do you remember that at all, Dennis? With like, like fading out and then coming back and kind of wondering. Oh yeah. I mean, they play the with the camera, is, the camera angle starts to wobble. Like they're not supposed to be on air and all right. that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. At, at the very beginning you think, oh man, this is a, you know, this is a fuck up of some kind, but obviously it, it was intentional. And again, you know, playing another crank on the audience, you know, are, 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 we, are we throwing it to commercial or, and then she goes back to her diva character. Right. And then she doesn't do it again. No, that's what I thought was interesting was that we didn't see her as that diva character anymore throughout that, the You night. didn't get the episode long arc? <laughs> no. Right. And no, I thought that's, I, I kind of thought we would, even when it came to, you know, oh, the Muppets or the intro yeah, or stuff. I didn't miss it. I wasn't, it kind of felt like that was it for me. I, did, I wasn't expecting it again. I, I agree with Brad, actually. I think that was enough. I don't think, you know, there's so much to do with Lily. That's yeah. And we'll talk about, she's in so much as we get into this, like she was doing so much. It's like, she didn't have time to kind of run that little gag. Cause she was in practically everything. Yeah. Yeah. She was in a lot. Yeah. In fact, she hosted the next show, <laughs> which is one of the classics. It is uh, debate 76. So this is our first presidential debate between Chevy Chase's Gerald Ford and Dan Aykroyd's Jimmy Carter. So this is, I mean, this is a classic sketch, if not for just the one line, but Lily plays the host, uh, a woman from the League of Women Voters. And she's, what actually caught my attention was that she's in a wig and makeup and there's a full costume change for her. And so quick. All of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. quick. And John and Jane and Garrett play the, not moderators, what's the, that mean? Um, they were the journalists. They were going to yeah. ask the questions. I mean, that's John how they actually, used to do it back then. They, they right. have like three people. That's true. And, yeah. Right. Uh, John actually plays the reporter from Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Tom, <laughs> Tom Burke, yeah. Who wrote the article that came out a few weeks earlier, three months, mm-hmm. I guess, at this point. Uh, yeah. And th- I mean, this was, you know, Chevy and Dan filling those roles as the two candidates. And you could see them, or you could see Dan still working on that impression. Right. It's better than it was in the first season. He I, I obviously oh, yeah. polished it a bit, worked on it on, you know, during the time off. 
But, uh, I mean, you knew he'd get it. And, of course, as time goes on, when Carter gets elected, he really makes it his own. Yeah. What, what was interesting to me rewatching this is I was reminded how there were several commentators back then who really thought Chevy's depiction of Gerald Ford cost Ford the election. Hmm. Not just him alone, but the perception that Ford was a stumble bum, not that yeah. bright, didn't know where he was half the time. Whereas Jimmy Carter was portrayed as this sensible technocrat, like he had all, you know, he knew all of the details of any given subject. Although he was very, as they pointed out, one of the great jokes in that bit about how vague he is and he's being vague yeah. about talking about how vague and he the flip-flop yeah and the flip-flop i mean yeah they definitely pick on both of them but as you said dennis they do seem to go harder on ford and mm-hmm. uh, and pick on him a bit more where the stuff they do with on carter you're kind of like oh it's funny but he's still like smarter or better or let me tell you something writer I, I i knew i was like 17 but i knew carter was going to win that election ford was so done uh, and I know Chevy later in life regretted what he did and became friends with Gerald Ford and appeared with him on television a couple of times. And and I don't know if Chevy's depiction cost for the election. I, I don't think it went that deep, but nevertheless, it didn't help. Right. What was the question? <laughs> Abortion, man. Abortion. Well, as you know, I support a constitutional amendment allowing the states to decide their own abortion laws, Mr. Rollin. This would enable a woman who wishes to have an abortion to move to another state. (laughs) Excuse me. Mr. Carter, rebuttal. Um, I think my stance on the abortion issue is perfectly ambiguous and ill-defined. I see no reason to elaborate further. Ms. Montgomery, a question on economics. Yes, uh, Mr. President, you said that the Humphrey-Hawkins bill will cost a possible $60 billion, but isn't it true that the jobs provided by the bill will create up to $150 billion in increased production? Using Walter Heller's figure that for every 1% unemployed, there is a resulting $37 billion loss in GNP. Now, at the present rate of taxation of, on GNP of 39%, doesn't this come to about the same $60 billion in increased revenue? It was my understanding that there would be no math <laughs> during the debates. This is a great sketch. I mean, top to bottom, though. Franken and Davis piece with Chevy and Dan, they all wrote mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like, it, it's amazing you watch this and how this is like the template that they would make for 47 oh. years. Like it's all there. Like for everything decades. is there mm-hmm. on the first go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so good. Hey, the set's great. So that's perfect for right? I'm just so excited. I feel like it's gonna take me four episodes to get over my <laughs> hating the, every set from season one was the same set, and now they have more money because it comes right. up again this episode. But I'm like, it's a great set, it looks good. Um, but no, it's just it's just so well written, it's so funny. And then we come come to the podium fall. And this actually alters Chevy's second season, at least for a few episodes. Because remember, he he leans forward and he falls on the podium. You jumped right in there. I like how we skipped the Watergate and the abortion jokes. (laughs) Well, he bruised his testicles. Yeah. During the dress rehearsal is what I'm not so surprised that he gets hurt in that fall hitting the podium. But the mm -hmm. fact that he does it during the dress rehearsal. 
and mm-hmm. then does that whole rehearsal and does a whole show before yeah. he yeah, goes. See, like, if thing. he's that hurt, I, it's got to be adrenaline, don't you think? I, I mean, you know, you know you're on live TV and. If he did it during the show, yes. I'm I'm not knocking him at all. But the fact that he did it at dress would have been at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And this that adrenaline took you through that whole down period. That's what surprises me. You don't see any signs that he's hurt. Like if you didn't know about it and read about it, you have no idea he got hurt mm-hmm. hours before mm-hmm. the show started. Mm-hmm. Right. And he and he soldiered on, man. I mean, you know, he the sad part yeah. is, did they really need that fall? It's Chevy. In the sketch? No. I, but to your that point, you think Chevy wants to, He already did a fall in the cold open. And right. this is a really great sketch that's written really well. It's really smart. I mean, I legitimately, to this day, use a line, it was my understanding there would be no math. Like, <laughs> I mean, in honesty, you that's used it about, you used it in about 12 ago. episodes exactly. uh, last season. You, <laughs> but that's yeah. a, I, to, to that point, I'm actually kind of surprised Chevy wanted to do a second fall in such a great sketch. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, it provided them an out. I understand it gave. I was going to say, I don't think they had an ending. No, so. no. But, well, my immediate reaction in watching it was, oh, if this were a more modern sh- version of SNL, this would have been the cold open, and he would have done the fall mm-hmm. live right. from New York. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Well, well which all yeah, the more well, power well, to him for not doing it because the cold open was great. Right. This is them throwing their cards down. Season two. Here's our first real sketch of the season, and it's a classic sketch. I mean, this will mm-hmm. go down forever as one of the best. And mm-hmm. sets the standard for debate sketches going forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. And what's really funny, they did this sketch before the actual debate. <laughs> the actual first debate oh, didn't happen is that true? until I a week. Yeah. So the oh. first debate happened a week later. So they actually, this is the only time they've done this in the show. They did the presidential debate sketch before the actual debate. So they were, they had nothing to go off of. They made this all up. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, you you mentioned Ron Nesson, and in the credits at the end of this sketch, Ron Nesson apparently did Gerald Ford's makeup. <laughs> they go right back to the Chirons first sketch. They learned season one. People love the Chirons. Mm-hmm. I couldn't keep up with all those names. Yeah. There's uh, Mrs. George Wallace, Forrest Mick Tucker. Jagger yeah. did something. Didn't they have, Jagger. yeah. Didn't they have like the Klingons was one of the writers, the Klingons, I think. Yeah. No, they were on there. Mr. Peanut, Dr. Seuss, like all of these people <laughs> are on here. My favorite was uh, that I caught was Gerald Ford's wardrobe was provided by mistake. Mistake, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Great sketch. What a way to kick it off. Yeah. And our first musical guest of the second season then comes on with James. Lily introduces James Taylor, who sings Shower the People. Brad? Um, JT, Mr. 70s. Um, <laughs> you know. He was huge. That's the thing. He was huge. He was huge. This was the lead single off his album that came out earlier that summer. The man releases a greatest hits album like two months later. He's a Mm -hmm. big deal. Uh, I thought it was odd he had pre-recorded backup singers. And I thought it was more odd that every time they went to the chorus, they cut to the tape machine. So you knew they were pre-recorded. I think uh, Carly Simon was on that on that tape. Which is why they did it. I don't think they're going to bring her in just to oh, sing backup. But you could get backup singers in New York. I mean, he brings a whole band out later. But Carly Simon sang backup. You want on oh, the, record. the actual? Yes, yeah, I get yeah. you. I get you. All right. They should have pre-recorded Carly Simon in the studio like they did when Carly. <laughs> they Simon did with Madeline. Was she was there four months ago. Just <laughs> yeah. recorded then. Um, I mean, I do like it's. It is a sign of the new 
Saturday night. You know, they're getting bigger musical acts, which I like. I yes, he's huge in the seventies, and I get a lot of people might not like oh, James I love Taylor, James but Taylor. but it's a good yeah. tune. He plays it well. It's it's good. He's the epitome of laid back seventies pop rock yeah. uh, or folk. Actually, I take that back. Folk rock. Yeah, I, I was surprised how young James Taylor looked. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mid twenties. Because is he that young? His first album was like 1969, was like 68, and his first big one was 70. But it was nice to see an artist who wasn't just covering songs from the 1920s. Well, you know, the the thing is- Season two is off to a good start. He was 28 at this point, by the way. Okay. Okay. James Taylor would um, become, I wouldn't say integral, but he became part of the SNL crowd as time went on. Mm. I mean, he became a semi-regular on the show. And whenever he performed music, he would be in sketches like, you know. All right. And he worked with a lot of um, the writers and other things. But he became like part of that crowd. Yeah, you could see that. Like Paul Simon-esque, a cooler version of Paul Simon. Not not as intense as Paul Simon. Yeah, a cooler, more laid back. Yeah. But but definitely part of that orbit. They could have given him his own episode this season. We're going to start Team JT versus Team Paul Simon. That's going to be season two's <laughs> battle. <laughs> I did think, I did like the performance. I did think that, and then our next segment felt early in the show. Are we going to update? Well, the music act felt kind of early after, you know, we had one sketch in the music act, and then update really felt early. Yeah, but it wasn't really, I mean, in the in the length. Cause, cause everything's going long, long open. Long yeah. Like sketch. the long yeah. open, the long debate. And now we're, you know, yeah. I, I think I was around looking, midnight. It's yeah. Around I think midnight. I was just counting numbers, you know, like, Oh, open yeah. monologue, one sketch and all right. of a sudden, boom, boom. But the long sketches are really good. They're so far. They were, I mean, they held up. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Update. Yeah. Hold up. Not so much. Well, but it's, it's always tough as we say. Well, when he, there were some great jokes, one of which you couldn't do, you couldn't do that today. The tennis Crazy. without balls? Tennis without balls, Renee oh, Richards. Might, yeah. Oh, there's no way, man. Come no, on. First of all, no. it's a joke the about transgender a tennis no, player no, who no, writes no, a book, no, right? She writes, God, or no. they write a book, tennis without balls. Can you balls? imagine Michael yes. Chase saying that? No, I don't think so. Funny though. I, mean, I can imagine him saying it, but right. not that on got, SNL. That did get the biggest laugh. <laughs> yeah. I, well, but, I mean, that bar is kind of low, like compared to the rest of Weekend Update so far. I mean, they started a huge over, laugh. They start. That's what we said. With biggest laugh. I mean, they did start out zero for two. That's not that the biggest laugh. I think was uh, he says generally similar Francisco. No, they Franco. just applauded. It wasn't. I was taking. It's a callback. Yeah, it wasn't as big as you. That tennis without balls line got a huge response. Yes, it did. It's a great. But job. I'm a But I mean, Chevy. He starts that I'm Chevy or I'm God and you're I'm God, God. and let's like, almost crickets. And then he tries to do a joke. Or let's take a look at the first headline and he looks down at the paper and like no joke i'm like oh chevy come on that was the and, joke and, and there's a richard speck joke which i'm guessing michael wrote i don't know for sure but michael had a framed photo of richard speck in his office so mm. at snl and he was the only one who really did serial killing jokes so makes sense yeah mouse tongue our boy edie vd amin yes <laughs> I did like the Edie Amin joke where he was going to get a transplant to become a human being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then we go back to the Blaine Hotel. Blaine's still there. <laughs> Crumbling, but still poisoning and killing people. 
<laughs> yeah, so Lorraine's there uh, to report on an outbreak of foreign legionnaire's disease, interviews John, who then succumbs to the disease, and then Lorraine succumbs to the disease. And my only thought was, are we, are we done with the Lorraine reporter bit? You know what's funny? Because I didn't hate this one. Well, I like John in this a lot. Actually. Yeah, I like John. I- and because well, I usually hate Lorraine's correspondent character, mm-hmm. but it was a funny joke. Was this O'Donohue, Dennis? Do you know? It felt like O'Donohue. Oh, I don't know. That I couldn't tell um, you. Both, I think the writing, and we've talked in se- when we did season one, like she does his voice very well. Oh, no, no. Lorraine, so between, of, of, the, of the three women, Lorraine yeah. was his voice, definitely. And so when, we, when the sketch is actually, she reports on people uh, developing a foreign language and then dying. It felt like O'Donoghue. Her performance of it felt like O'Donoghue. And then, me. and then, yeah, John was great. John comes out and she interviews John as the manager, and he starts speaking Spanish and and dies. And Lorraine does a great job, where she gets an accent and dies. You know, it, and it's absolutely has no reflection upon my hotel. Uh, maybe it's uh, a virus that's going around. It could be, uh, you know, a, a, the flu. You know, could be a cold. It could be. Checking the count is now 31 people who have been felled by this curious disease. Doctors are at a loss, as are the police. Until something is determined, this is Lorraine Newman saying... What I feel like about John in that piece is the his casual presence. You know what I mean? It's commanding, but it's casual. It's yeah. like he's just sort of like turns into the camera. His body language is so relaxed, but he's commanding. Yeah, and that to me, before everything went to hell with him later. That was what his genius was as a performer, is that he could play, he had that intensity, but yet it was seemed so casual, like off the cuff. Yeah. I'm and you really right. saw that in that piece. Yeah, it's it's kind of that layover of what I was calling season one John, where he can play subtle and right. kind of impatient. He's it's not crazy. And yeah, you know, you're right. He was he was really good in that. This is when he was still an actor, you know, before he became a celebrity. I mean, you know, really, <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. I, I I don't mean. I, I, I'm being serious. I mean, when after Animal House, forget it. Right. And, yeah. you know, now John's a celebrity and right. he's going to live up to the hype. So uh, then we go to Lily. Yeah. As Ernestine. We're still doing commercials, apparently, and we can update. Mm-hmm. Thought they got rid of that at the end. But yeah, no. but I thought this was a good commercial. It was very good. It was very yeah. good. Yep. And another yep. laugh in character yep. on SNL. But what I like about this, and she does this twice this episode, it felt like her laughing characters were more a part of the show this time. And mm-hmm. the first time she was on, she did like her own thing. Like, this is me mm-hmm. and my laughing character. Where this time, this is a perfect example. Franken and Davis wrote this bit, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, it just, yeah, and it you feels, see Al Franken in the background. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a laughing character, but it's in the world of SNL. And mm-hmm. it just adds to how well this plays, because this is a brilliant piece. It's so funny. Here at the phone company, we handle 84 billion calls a year, serving everyone from presidents and kings to the scum of the earth. So we realize that every so often you can't get an operator for no apparent reason your phone goes out of order. Perhaps you've been charged for a call you didn't make. We don't care. Watch this. Just 
Peoria. You see, this phone system consists of a multi-billion dollar matrix of space-age technology that is so sophisticated that even we can't handle it. But that's your problem, isn't it? So the next time you complain about your phone service, why don't you try using two Dixie cups with a string? We don't care. We don't have to. We're the phone company. I love when you see uh, any actor, but you saw it with Lily in the first time she was on when they bring these characters and put them in a different circumstance. And it's just like she falls right into that character and brings such life to it. It's great. Just well, talking Lily about Tomlin how the phone company brilliant. doesn't care. Yeah, Lily Tomlin's amazing. I mean, she she really was. I mean, you know, I think there, there's a whole generation that doesn't know how great she really was because, you know, later in life, I mean, you know, but her best work was character studies. Um, well, we'll get to my favorite yeah, we sketch will. Yeah. of the show soon. But this next bit is not my favorite bit no. on the show <laughs> at all. Anybody who knows me? We're not done weekend update. Dennis, please. No, I thought we were done. No, okay. sir. That was just Sorry, a commercial. I can't we wait have to, to go back the to the. We have to make a Blaine uh, Hotel callback, which actually was really right. funny with Don Pardo. They've done that before. Yeah. Um, and then we got to come back to Chevy, who still, I will give him credit, still plays dead jokes great. Mm-hmm. When he does the report about the whatever, changing the slogan, have a nice day to so long now, see you soon. <laughs> and no one laughs. And he just gives the look and the reaction like, well, fuck it. <laughs> it's like, it's still great. And then Gary's favorite person calls in. Yeah. Emily Latilla calls in. Oh, dear. Because she heard about five crustaceans hijacking a plane. But anyway. I, I I was never a big Emily Latella fan. I love Gilda, but Emily Latella did very little for me. And also uh, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, which I thought was even worse. But anyway, but that's a whole other. I just don't understand. Why do you ever call in? Put her on the desk. This is the second time she's done the call in. Yeah. yeah but yeah. the last time John was at the desk and then she called in. Right. You the pump. Yeah. Yeah. Are you All guys right. Emily Latella fans? No. Gary hates her. I don't mind her. I think sometimes they're written really well. Like I uh, think, the yeah. uh, busing school children was great. There's a couple of them that are really good. I, like anything, like any of those recurring characters, you hit the well too many times, you're going to run out. But I do think they get some really good ones in there. I mean, Gilda's a great performer. I mean, right. so, you know, she's going to bring it. Yeah. It just comes down to the writing. I just never really was into that character. And I, and I, and I love Gilda. I say the same with John doing the weather, who I, I mean, I love Belushi. And it's like some of those weather reports are phenomenal and they're great. Some of them, eh, you know, you got to try. But yeah. Well, all those uh, Belushi uh, desk bits were O'Donnell. O'Donnell, yeah. 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 Of course, the best one comes later this season on the St. Patrick's show. The Irish St. Yeah. show. That's my favorite. The luck of the Irish. That's... Oh, they love their mothers, boy. They love their <laughs> mothers. It's mother this and mother the that. Best. Ireland must be heaven because my mother comes from there. <laughs> he just like flips out. That's <laughs> so good. We talk about Chevy taking a fall. Let's not overlook Belushi's physical attributes here. Because he, oh, he could spin uh, off. Dennis, and... Brad never overlooks Belushi uh, for anything. I'll okay. go 10 minutes on him doing <laughs> King Bee and jumping off the stool. He's amazing. <laughs> No, he gave it his all, man. But I, again, sorry. when he was an actor, when he was a comic actor, I feel so, like I interrupted. Dennis wanted to get to the Muppets. I'm sorry. So I wanted now to strangle the Muppets early. I apologize. <laughs> um, Do they owe them an appearance? I thought they were done season one. Well, as Lily points out in the piece, 
the Muppet Show's already started, and they're right. that in, they're taping that in London. Yeah, and it's a whole different crowd of Muppets. Yep. I'm amazed that they did bring it back. I mean, I, they the whole premise was that they were in they're all stored away in old file cabinets and in the morgue, you know, Muppets morgue. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they pop their heads out, and they're and they're so and, and there's actually I will say there are some funny lines about you know they're not wanted anymore. But they they were doing that in the first season. They were doing that with Anthony Perkins. I mean, you know, right. you know, we don't get much to do anymore, and so that's an ongoing thing. Is this the last time the Muppets appeared? This is the final one. Yes, which okay. it just yeah. seems weird. They come. I like. I wondered two things. Like one, if either Lily wanted them because she actually was the first time a host was really good with the Muppets, and it was the first good Muppets bit. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of wondered mm-hmm. maybe if she wanted them back. Um, and or maybe was there some kind of a deal when they left SNL that they would promote the Muppet show? That's what I thought. Those are the two things I thought, either Lily or a deal to promote. I th- I thought it was the, they somehow worked in. All right. You can come on one last time and plug the Muppet show and then we're done. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Gary, of course, it has to turn into an intro. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there was, hold on, though, <laughs> because there was a moment where like the the. Lily tries to get the Muppets to whistle. They say they right. can because they don't want to say no to anything at this point. And they can't whistle because they're Muppets. And then the Muppets talk to Lily, but she it felt like she all of a sudden couldn't hear them. Or, or she took a weird turn. Like she was very pro-Muppets yeah. and then they couldn't whistle. And then she was like, I have Just no Just walks off. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, what? Do you and it's shot very like? dark too. Did you notice that? Like yeah. it's a very yeah. dark shot. Yeah. And like... The second she leaves the set, it's like she's enveloped by darkness. Yeah. And then she plays that kind of weird vibe into the intro with well, James I, Taylor. I like that because there's, you know, it's not like, ladies and gentlemen, James Taylor. She just like, you know, wanders onto the stage and talks to him for, you know, are you going to sing us another song? Very casually. Yeah. You know? It's a yeah. looseness too. You know, they're, they're still not doing the, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, James Taylor. You know, they're not doing that. Yeah, they're it's still casual. figuring out how to do the intros and they do mm-hmm. it all. And they do them all in this one. Like she yeah. does that. They do a Don Pardo intro. They do the mm-hmm. sketch into intro. They they do them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and meanwhile, just to take note again, she's been in everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heavy show. Heavy yeah. show. Well, she I mean, is doing it why all. not? She's great. I mean, she is. She is. If you've got Lily Tomlin in, in, in the building and, you know, you use her. Right. Didn't use many of the other women, but we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. That's true, actually. We do have James Taylor, though, as we mentioned, singing I'm a Roadrunner, which, Brad, just you know, for your bingo card, is a cover song, so you can check that <laughs> off your box. It is. Yeah. Covered by many. Right. I can't say this is one of the better covers. I, I didn't like it. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> a huge fan. No, I, I was Probably because James Taylor, well, one, he's incredibly high, but he he looks so weird without a guitar strap in front of him. He he's does not clapping. know what to do. He does not know what to do with his body. I'm pretty yes. sure he's clapping off beat. I'm fairly he was, certain. He right? was clapping off beat. Thank yes. you. Yeah. And, and also, he did not need to pick up a tambourine in the second half of that song. <laughs> who, not you, needed. Who, who is he? Davy Jones? What the hell yeah. is this? <laughs> is he? Is he Chevy? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was an odd, I don't know. You have it's an odd, to me it felt like an odd James Taylor tune. We got David Sanborn back in the building though. So mm-hmm. we get that. Season Not the one, last Phoebe time he'll Snow. be in 30 Rock. Yeah. 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 But 
yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, I was kind of left with the, did we need that performance kind of thing? Well, yeah. it's, you know, I think up to, to that point and the Muppets too, I mean, and again, the Muppets had a few good jokes. I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not going to be completely unfair about that, but I mean, you know, the show is really chugging along and then you hit the Muppets and that James Taylor song. It's sort of like, I wouldn't say it comes to a halt, but it just like the rhythm changes. Uh, the, the motion goes in a different direction. I think but, Muppets. Yes. The James Taylor song, cause it actually had some energy to it. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't like the performance, but I didn't mind it. I enjoyed watching it and mm-hmm. it, it definitely, I, I thought it kept things moving along. Okay. Well, the tempo definitely changed with the next piece, right? So the next piece is, I oh. thought it was brilliant. It's amazing. Oh, 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 oh. oh but oh. it was a departure from everything else we've seen to this point. How long is this? I know you timed it. Uh, I if you didn't, don't didn't. worry about it. I just no. assumed you did. Okay. But it's another very long piece. Yeah, it is nine and a half minutes wow didn't you don't even notice it no 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 what's funny is what i did notice being long was the first shot where it pulls out of the nativity scene and then the Mm -hmm. slow pan around the apartment with the three stooges clip in the background (laughs) yes Yes, yes, the the best part was the three stooges yes yes not curly it was a shemp stooge but that was the the only part that I th- thought felt long was just that buildup of like, where are we going with this? Well, I we mean, should, it's, we should it's actually, a dramatic piece. Yeah, yeah we should it, let it, Dennis. Do you want to do that? We should actually talk about what the sketch is yeah. before we rave about it because we'll just keep talking about. Okay, it no well, so it's um, go ahead. <laughs> it's one of Lily's another Lily character, Tess, who usually is a street person or became like a street person, especially in her Broadway show, and she was like this mystical street person who ate out of garbage cans and things like that. But I wouldn't say obnoxious, but very upbeat. And I'm talking about the homeless character. This version of Tess, she's just lonely. She's looking for anybody to talk to about her life, which is empty. And so she invites Garrett. Garrett plays a real estate salesman for a um, I don't know if it was a condo or a uh, lake community or whatever it is. And Garrett's really good in this piece. I mean, he's, Garrett is great. I mean, yes. he's really good in it. He's, I mean, he's a straight man, but you know, you, you, you're not going to stage tests. I mean, just, you know, you, no, you but Garrett it. had, has at time had issues acting like of pulling no, off I, his I lines. So that's why I mean, like it was great to see him pull this off because he was so good. Yeah. Well, what was, what, what was great about that sketch is it was reminiscent of Lily's early 70s specials. I mean, she did those kind of sketches mm. where they were sort of dramatic with jokes, but it was primarily about a certain segment of humanity that gets overlooked or is hidden or forgotten. And and the set design, that apartment, is absolutely perfect. I had that note too. Another great set, new set. Yeah. I mean, and 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 that's a Lauren thing, to be honest with you. I mean, I know they had set designers and everything, but you know, especially back then, Lauren oversaw everything. And I'm sure he like said, no, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. And I'm sure Lily said the same thing. You know, the sketch was primarily written by Marilyn Miller, but I mean, I know Lily and probably Jane Wagner contributed to it as well. I mean, because it's it's Lily's character. I mean, it's it, it's one of my favorite sketches in SNL history. I, I, I just think it's 
it's actually it made me cry. I hadn't seen it in so long. And I started crying through it because Lily plays it so well and so convincingly. And she just plays this lonely, nameless woman who is just trying so hard to connect to anybody. And Garrett's character is great in the sense that he puts up with it longer than he should. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he and his character tries to show some empathy, but in the end, he's a salesman. He's not right. there to be friends. And then eventually he erupts and, you know. Uh, Mr. Sendo, I think I'll be going now. You have to leave now? Why? Uh, I, I have to meet someone for a dinner date. You can have dinner here. You need a phone to call? I'd let you use mine, but I don't have one. I'd let you use that fella's upstairs, but he's a narcotic. Uh, it's been very nice, Mr. Sandow. Wait, you can't leave yet. It's late. Wait, now what about my complimentary John F. Kennedy memorial ashtray? What I, I, about we, that? We ran out of ashtrays, Mr. Sandow. You can't just run out. Uh, what about uh, an Apollo 11 moon landing coin, okay? Well, now I can't put cigarettes out in a coin, can I? No. Give it here. One small step form and... For, for man, uh, not form and, for man. Sure, you hand these out all day, you've got them memorized. Oh, I have to go. Wait, what about some eggnog? No. Hey, how about some eggnog? No. Where's your Christmas spirit? Uh, uh, Mr. Descendo, it's, it's September. I have plenty of Christmas spirit in December. Only it's September? I know it's September. Ed didn't say nothing about no coin. I'd be the first one to admit that it's September. I just, I can't say enough about that sketch. It's just, it's a lovely piece. Lily is so locked into it. And uh, it, it harkened back and the early SNL did this a lot too. They harkened back to like fifties television yeah. um, because they grew up on it. And, you know, that was they as Rosie Schuster has said, you know, we are the first generation who grew up on television to do television. Well, and, and they still do change of pace. Mm -hmm. Those early years, they would do this dramatic. That was a great way you described it. Dramatic with some jokes. Cause like my last note on this was, this was not really funny. It had some funny parts. Oh but was an amazing sketch. And nowadays you won't get that. And everything is oh, laugh, God, laugh, no. you know, it's laugh, 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 <laughs> laugh, laugh, laugh. So it, it's one of those things like to see back in those days, it's just, this is probably the first sketch I want to say I've seen so far in a season and a little change where it finished. And I, my, my mind, I was like, I have to go back and watch it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I yeah, have you're never to. bored in it. You're never bored. No, in it. no, it's so good. Oh my Th God. This is probably, I think the best performance we've seen on the first season and whatever change that we've watched of an actor taking a character. And there's so many levels to this character that she shows levels, you. Yes. So many layers. And it's just, it's amazing. And like you said, Dennis, like this is a character she had and she has, you know, this was something that she did on this show in this episode that was just so well done and so amazing and did to your point Brad like it takes you out of it and you're like I want to watch that again because even though it's nine minutes and whatever there's so much there that you want to you want to see it again yeah I when he when 
she's talking about like all these stores that are downtown and then she has this callback right. it gets no laugh but it's just the way she says it's close up she goes he got that at jc penny's they're downtown yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like wow yeah <laughs> they're downtown yeah <laughs> and again uh like you said she's in padding and makeup and a wig and like she's all she's made up this character it's not just her face is all scrunched up yeah yeah, heavy makeup, and she's not just talking with a funny voice or anything. It, it's no, no, all she there. No, it's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I hopefully is a sign of things to come. You know, right? Season two, you're getting the bigger sets. You're getting the more artistic design, oh, the padding. Yeah. You know, so you, you get these characters. I mean, we're going to see it obviously in something like Cohen Heads late down the road. But you know, you get these characters that get fleshed out even more, which I'm excited to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, they're they're going to come back. I think season two is uh, Marilyn Miller's really coming out party. I mean, some of her best sketches happen in this season. I mean, she had slumber party in the first season. I mean, she had some great stuff there too, yeah. but I think she really hits her stride in this season. Cause you see those kind of sketches and you know, the ones I'm talking about where they're semi-dramatic. Now, I don't know, even the ones I do like, I don't know if they'll ever top the one we're talking about with Lily and Garrett, but I, nevertheless it's that same vibe it's the same feel they're still going for that kind of thing you know no hard laughs Mm -hmm. so yeah so they're moving i mean they're more willing to do this kind of stuff in in season two and of course then they start moving away from it once they have the recurring characters that the audience loves and right they start playing you know for broader laughs and their audience increases and as their audience increases and their ratings go up, they get bigger budgets again. And, and especially when the Coneheads hit, which they hit later this season, you know, they became just joke machines. But even that got co-opted, I thought, you know, eventually. And I suppose if you keep doing it over and over again, you know, you, you run out of original or dramatic ways of looking at it. And then you just go for the jokes. So, but thankfully, we didn't have a bunch of test sketches. I, yeah. I'm, I'm thankful right. for that. We just had more James Taylor. JT, baby. Mm-hmm. He comes back and sings Sweet Baby James. Mm-hmm. I see you have an attitude about this, Gary. No. I, what, <laughs> what do you want me to say about James Taylor singing Sweet Baby James? You know what I'm going to say? I love this James Taylor episode one. This is what you want. I feel like this is a great musical guest for this first episode that they're saying, like, we're here. We've got obviously good comedic talent and we're bringing music guests and they're going to play stuff you want to hear. So I, you know... We've heard Sweet Baby Jean so many times, but I mean, at least we're seeing James Taylor in his natural habitat behind a guitar. I mean, it. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, but okay. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't feel like I needed three James Taylor performances because of the middle one no, where he was covering the Road Roadrunner. Road I agree. They could have cut that one, but then you'd have that, you know, that, either that gap in the show. You got to fill it with something. Well, right. and they, they did have a sketch that got cut with Lorraine and um, Lily, Lorraine Newman's Sherry. And Lily did that that sorority girl character mm-hmm. she did episode one. And they were, mm-hmm. um, but they're talking about the Miss America pageant in their characters. They did it in dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I don't know, they thought either people didn't think it was funny or wasn't. But you could have put that in there and we would have seen Lorraine a little bit more, which would have been nice. Yeah. yeah. But they figure you got James Taylor in the building. So, yeah, you that's know, true. You, you use them. Right. Yeah, he's he's huge. Well, we get Dan's pitchman to come back mm-hmm. in our next commercial, which is Dan asking another 
Lily character from I'm not sure if this is from Laughing Dennis. Uh, I think it's from her 70s spec her early her spec, special specials. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah house- is Dan playing a character? Is he playing Dan? <laughs> it's hard to tell. Because <laughs> at the end, I thought it was a pitch man, but the way this sketch ends, I thought he was then Dan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the oh, light well, he is wasn't that, Yeah, he wasn't that detached from his persona. So. Right. Yeah, but Dan, or the pitch man, whatever you want to call him, uh, is asking Mrs. Judith Beasley to do a series of more and more awkward tasks, which is like to do the dishes, to put the jam, some jam on her husband's suit, uh, <laughs> to go to wax a gymnasium floor. And then the basketball team like runs around her. And, and then at the very end, he asks her to go into a motel room with a strange man and take off all her clothes and do the antler dance. And she does each of these willingly tasks willingly yes and the whole thing is posed as though you know she's it's posed part like of, a commercial like a right. like they're asking for like an we everyday asked, woman you know, we, to try our our product and vouch right. for it that was very common back in the 70s on right as like you know we asked this you know housewife yeah. or these two housewives to taste you know the new ritz cracker you know that kind of a thing yeah yeah so it was I, a known trope. It was a known thing. I did like Dan in those early in the early bits there, where she's putting the jam on and she says something like, "I sir, I hope you're here when Harold gets home." And in the background, Dan's just shaking his head, like <laughs> yes. looks at the camera's like, "Nope." And then she says, "He's going to pitch quite a fit." And he starts nodding in the back. <laughs> well, just look at this. Just look how these luxurious suds rinse off this grease. Oh my. My, how silky and smooth it is. I could hardly wait to soak my entire body in it. (laughs) Then we asked Mrs. Beasley to spread her preferred brand of jam, brand A, on her husband's good suit jacket. Well, all right. (laughs) And our brand, brand B, on the pants. I certainly hope that you are here when Harold gets home. (laughs) I don't know how he's going to take this, but I would imagine that he will pitch quite a fit. (laughs) I then just kind of lost that idea. Then when it, uh, he, she goes into the hotel about the antler dance and Dan's outside and then he looks to camera and he says, so if anyone from the Saturday Night Live show asked you to do something. And that's when I was like, that's the joke. This is they're trying to turn it into. Well, it's very much of its time. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say the antler dance was of its time because I, I, you could be the you could do the antler dance anytime. I think <laughs> the antler dance is a very timeless dance. There's still antlers today. <laughs> I, I thought this was a fun piece, though. Like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it strange. Moved, it moved fast. It actually. did move fast. It moved fast. The bits were funny. She was great. Dan was really funny. She wears that hamster head in the supermarket from episode three last year of the Fashion Don'ts. Alan's Weibel oh, yeah. in the background. like just <laughs> Marilyn looking. Miller is there, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I totally enjoyed the piece. Just to totally digress we've had a lot of cameos from writers you just mentioned alan zweibel and marilyn miller uh al franken was in the telephone bit earlier mm-hmm. tom davis mm-hmm. was in the debate piece we, mm-hmm. we didn't mention as the referee mm-hmm. i feel like uh everybody's getting some screen time here and not yeah. in, like pre-tapes that we've seen well Although, there are a lot of tastes because tess because i was commenting on how much i like that set and i was like what was the last set i liked the debate there's only been two quote unquote regular sketches this episode from the cold open monologue. All you had is debate 
and Tess and Muppets. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't count Muppets. Like Muppets are Weekend Update, or but three, you know, musical numbers. It just it was no, weird. Brad, you're I noticed, right. I, I like, never there's not that, a lot of true. legit yeah. sketches, and I kind of the next sketch, which I didn't like at all, and really felt like a filler. There's not, and I don't mean it as a knock because I enjoy this episode and it's really well. It's just interesting that there weren't that many live sketches. That's all. Yeah. You mentioned you didn't like the next sketch. Um, I did not. As a Tom Schiller sketch. Anytime you see, especially in the early days, a piece about uh, 20s Bohemia or the Lost Generation or the Jazz <laughs> Age, nine and a half times out of 10 is Tom Schiller. Yeah. I mean, it, he's, it just felt he's, like you know, they're doing me. jokes about Cocteau and Picasso. I mean, even back then, that was a reach for the audience, I'm sure. See, Schiller worked with just about anybody on the show. I mean, he, he had his own distinctive style, but he was a collaborator yeah. and he worked with the women a lot, especially Marilyn. The two of them, you know, really meshed. Yeah. But this is uh, this piece. Um, uh, that's it's very especially the closing of Beau Gestes and Petticoats. I mean, that's such a Tom Schiller line. <laughs> totally doesn't get a laugh, always gets a smile out of me just because I know who wrote it and I just love it. It's a nice little poetic ending, not a funny sketch. I mean, you know, the whole juxtaposition of this high intellectual, artistic background, and Lorraine's just kind of this dope like, you know, I should have ordered the steak for dinner, or, right. You know, I wore high heels on this hike with Picasso, stuff like I think that. The, I think these sketches are just tough in general, too, where it's just, it's all voiceover. Like you're not even seeing the person saying the words. Oh, she's that's, sitting that's at the right, desk. Right. She sits just, at the desk and she's just writing and it's her voiceover. Words. And then there's mm. pictures being flashed up. So just, it, it's just a tough, I think, mix of things to get laughs in general. Mm. I don't know if that piece was meant to get laughs, to be honest with you. Yeah. Wait, do we jump ahead to the film to Gary Weiss already? No. Oh, I'm sorry. So we're talking about about not winning laughs. My my apologies. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, of not getting introduce laughs. it because ah. I, have, I have a introduce it because I have a very brief story about the person in this uh, film. But you guys introduce it. So the uh, Gary Weiss's film this week is uh, just a discussion with Taylor Mead talking about his TV viewing habits. So, Dennis, you have a, a Taylor Mead. <laughs> well, story? as you know, Taylor Mead uh, was part of the Warhol crowd, and he appeared in a couple of Warhol films, if you want to call them films. But uh, <clears throat> I met and talked to Taylor Mead back in the 80s in Chelsea in New York. He was at this theater. I don't know why he was there. And I go, holy shit, that's Taylor Mead from Saturday night. And I went over and I just said, uh, hey, Taylor, I'm, you know, my name's Dennis, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just, I loved you on Saturday nights and, you know, the Gary Weiss films, because he did two of them, I think. We talked for about 20 minutes. He was totally friendly. He was, I mean, he was was like he is in those movies. (laughs) And he's like, very like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, that was really fun. Came into my apartment. I didn't even clean it. It smelled like cat piss, you know, <laughs> and that was it. I, and then my girlfriend goes, all right, let's go. <laughs> I go, Taylor, good to meet you, man. <laughs> good luck. And that was it. I just feel like this is shame on you, Gary Weiss. You had all summer to come up with something for episode one. 
<laughs> and you go back to Taylor Me. Like, come on, man. Like, this is like a November Gary Weiss film. Like, I almost was wondering, like, if this was actually even new footage. He just was like replay, but then I, he was talking. Well, he it started talking already... about the no, the Miss America thing is what gave it away. Oh, he was talking about Miss okay. America, and he, so I was like, oh, maybe it is new. Which I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Then he actually went out and shot new footage of Taylor Mead to show episode one. He was fascinated and, with him, wasn't he? He was. My immediate reaction was Taylor Mead was the only one who would say yes to Gary Weiss, and that is why we have another Taylor Mead film. <laughs> actually, where were the cats? What happened there? I know. Maybe he locked him in the bathroom. Uh oh. Or that cat no longer with us. Or yes. I'm pretty sure that cat is no longer with us. That cat was doing a that cat was doing a lot of drugs. That's right. Wasn't he like blowing pot smoke in its <laughs> face? Cat was yeah. Totally bombed yeah. by the end of that film. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this baby up. Well, after that Gary Weiss film, we come back to Lily on stage talking about how she recently learned how to do the antler dance, which was featured in that last piece she was in. And she then starts singing a song about it. Yes, earlier in the show, we said that if someone from Saturday night came up to you and asked you to do something, do it, no matter what it was. Now, there are a lot of things we might ask you to do. We might ask you to comb your hair with buttered toast, in which case I hope you have the good sense and discretion not to. We might ask you to set fire to your oven mitts. Why, we might even ask you to do the antler dance, in which case you ought to know the antler dance, and I'm here to teach it to you. Uh, because I've learned it recently, and uh, here's how I learned it. A man in a mask came into my room late last Saturday night. I said, hey, Mr. Mask, what you doing in here? He said, there ain't no cause for fright. I got a dance that repeats the bump, the hustle and the hoochie good friend Paul Schaefer sings the second verse of this song and mm-hmm. uh, and they all start doing the antler dance and then then the cast comes up uh, and then when we come back for the final good nights the entire audience and the Muppets mm-hmm. are on stage and apparently mm-hmm. Brad saw Pepe Pretty yeah, sure I, I saw. missed him in that but I'll take uh, it we all we all missed him Pepe it's all Alan Bell. I know that shirt anywhere that red and blue striped shirt he's got they're all there Muppets came out James Taylor Rosie, was out there O'Donnell, doing it. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody was there. Everybody was having a blast. I This is the best, probably the best good nights we've seen. I, I would put it on the same par with the good nights with Desi Arnaz. I, had I was that just going to say the same thing. We love that one. And the reason I put yeah. this above is this is original. Desi yeah. Arnaz's was fantastic, but he was, you know, he was doing playing song. a Desi Arnaz yeah. song. The yeah, fact that right. this was original SNL. That's why I like this one better. But yeah, same exact thing. And this is O'Donoghue, right, Dennis? Yeah, Michael wrote wrote the song with Paul Schaefer. Paul wrote the music. Michael wrote the lyrics. And it was Michael's. He just had this silly concept. It didn't. He just mean wanted anything. to like create like a dance craze, right? Like right. Was, well, he, that was his joke. I mean, there's right. no way that in 1976 so you're going to have an antler dance yeah. dance craze. <laughs> But it was just a silly thing. I mean, that's the thing about Michael. A lot of people they seem to think all he did was death humor, and that's not true. I mean, yeah, he was he was that was like his bread and butter, but and that's what he got known for at the uh, at the Lampoon. But all, even at the Lampoon, he wrote silly stuff. He wrote really dopey jokes. I have all of his notebooks from 1974 to like 1986. Oh my god! Wow, and. <laughs> 
I don't have, I mean, I, I Xerox them all when yeah. I had access to his files. Wow. And, and you see a lot of his ideas and antler dances in there. There's a lot of stuff in there that eventually ended up on the show. I mean, and they could just be like two or three words. And then it's just, you know, and obviously like, oh yeah, that, that, that. And there's stuff you've never seen. Uh, he, he had this one thing he wanted to, he wanted a tarantula to tap dance on a butter dish. <laughs> You got me in any event. Um, <laughs> so Michael was, could write silly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, real and good stuff. stuff. I mean, that citizen Kane sketch from uh, oh, yeah. season one and, and um, star Trek. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't just deaf. And I, I remember hearing you guys talking about Bob Schiller, the Bob Schiller. Letter. <laughs> yeah. The note. Uh, why doesn't O'Donnell just shoot himself, get his laugh and move on to something else. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember Donnie replied to that. I think it was in either Playboy or one of those 70s like Circus Magazine, or I, I can't quite remember. But anyway, he mentioned Bob Schiller. And he says, you know, he says, well, I respect Bob Schiller and, you know, his career, which he did, honestly. He goes, but he's an old man. He just doesn't get what's going on today. He goes, in his day, you know, it was Fred Nethel knocking on your door. In my day, it's Charles Manson. <laughs> so he had he had an answer for him, but i mean yeah but i think maybe bob schiller was there maybe a week where he was doing a lot of death <laughs> yeah and anyway and i love i agree with you i love the ending it's just so joyous and it's and the show for the most part is very strong it's a great premiere for a great in my view a great season oh it's a it's a great return season two opener yeah fantastic but return. i think season two is a great season i really do and it and, and you really see the show evolve and grow relatively quickly i mean the first season they're still trying to find their way yeah. it's a variety show then it's not a variety show and you know and toward the end obviously uh by the summer shows you know you can see they're moving in a certain direction and with this show, it's definite that they're moving in a different direction and the show is evolving. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you remove the two summer shows, right? I have a, uh, um, I have a uh, weird appreciation of the Chris Christopherson show. It's not a very good show, but, and as you know, Christopherson <laughs> was drunk through the whole thing. <laughs> no, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, but, but, but yeah. anyway, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the show is starting to evolve, and it's it, it's becoming more confident in itself, and it's willing to take more chances, and it's also becoming a mainstream fixture. Yeah. And by yeah. the third season, it is a mainstream fixture. Right. And from that point on, you know, off to the races until Gene Domanian. <laughs> and then we skid into the wall, and who the hell knows what's going on? <laughs> But I agree entirely this episode. It's really fun. You know, it's really weird though. A little bit at the end, it really felt, as I started thinking about it, like a weird episode. Because as much as Lily Tomlin was in a lot, which I really liked, and it was a great episode, it was fun. There didn't seem to be that many, what I would call, like I said earlier, real sketches. You know, you have the debate sketch, Tess, and the Lorraine Newman Women in Literature sketch. That's really it, That's other it. than yeah, the Muppets. Right. You have... Three songs, two Wait, films. You you have two two taped films. You have five songs. 
I wasn't counting the Muppets. I didn't want to count the Muppets song. What's the other one I'm missing? The Antler Dance at the end. Oh, like the that's dance. a whole song. But that was one. Of the, it was so great. It didn't even. It was, yeah, you didn't even think. I about can't it knock song. that as right. a song. Right. But it just you it do nothing. Like wait, wait, wait. You do nothing but complain about all of the singing on the show. <laughs> that was great. That one was I, great. You don't like the music on the show. Oh, he doesn't like when hosts. Season one sketches. had a little too no. Season one had a little too much singing, like a Diane Cannon singing or Alan oh. Khan, who I love singing Raquel like five Welch songs. Singing. Raquel Welch singing. Elliot Gould coming out the second time he hosted and busting right into song in his monologue. And I don't mean it as a bad thing. I just there was a weird vibe to it where just the amount of sketches versus music versus pre tapes. But I enjoyed it. She was great, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Gary. Kind of lost the cast here and there. Like at one point, yeah. I was like, we didn't really see Gilda other than Emily Latilla because I forgot she was in the opening, but like right. she's in those two bits. Jane wasn't in a lot other than no, she was yeah, in true. after the debate. Jane was only in the open and the debate. Gilda was in the open and Emily Latilla. Lorraine was in the writing thing and the weekend update. Dan was in that pre tape. John John, John was in, in the lot, debate right? and the weekend update. Chevy wasn't in a lot. I mean, Chevy was in weekend update and the open uh, and the debate. But that's what I mean. It feels weird to me because she was in so much and she wasn't doing her solo stuff. So right. it's like, I can't put my finger on it. But if I was Dennis's age in <laughs> 1976 and I saw this episode, I would be very excited for the rest of season two. I Absolutely. was. I totally was, man. I could talk about that season forever. You should have me on for every show of second season. I'll, <laughs> I'll lay it all down for you. De I went back, Dennis. Forgive me. But did you not write a piece back for like Huffington Post ages ago when the DVDs coming out saying that this was your favorite yeah, season? Yeah. Oh this, God, this was, was the best season. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. It was an interesting point that you made. It's the last season they're really experimenting or going out on limbs or trying different things because their popularity just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And by the time season three comes around, they're doing the the recurring characters and they're they're hitting the broader audiences and they're not doing as many of the Marilyn Miller drama pieces or they're not doing weird Dan Aykroyd mm -hmm. TV mm -hmm. songs about the creation of television or there so, were moments. There were moments, moments but they get there, few but, and far yeah. between. So it's I think season two is just so exciting because they're still figuring things out. Especially when yeah. we get to losing Chevy. And well, he said later, of course, he said he regretted it. But then he also said that his thing to sort of justify him leaving so early, especially with the splash that he made, uh, that he said, we, you know, I thought we just should have torn the shit out of TV for one season, taken a break mm -hmm. and came back, rested with a whole new perspective. That was his idea. Now, I don't know how serious he was about that because, and especially with someone who's worked in television even before Saturday night, you know, he know he knows the beast television is. You know, once something's successful, right. it devours it. NBC's out here go, oh, we got this hit. Take a year off. Right. And <laughs> yeah. figure out and come what back with next. a whole new satirical yeah. angle. No, in fact, they're like, now we're gonna have you come in the summer. Right. Exactly. Because they're selling advertising, you know, like, right. hey, yeah. this hip young show. And for, for a network that was resolutely against the show from the beginning, with a, save for a few executives, but as an institution was not terribly crazy about this idea. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, Lauren and, and, and the brilliant staff that he put together, and, and, and you can say a lot of things about Lauren, but I'll tell you, man, he put together a great original staff, a real eclectic staff. 
And imagine <laughs> if he had the budget to put Bill Murray in the first season, you know, they were going to hire, he wanted to hire mm-hmm. Bill Murray too. It would have been the original eight, not the original seven. And they didn't yeah. have the money. Mm-hmm. So when Chevy left, obviously who's next, who's next in line, Bill. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a great show. It's one of my favorites. The test sketch is one of my favorites of all time. And, uh, and the antler dance is silly and I love the way it ends. So would you say, are those your best bits then, Dennis? Tess oh, and yeah. the Antler Dance? Antler Dance and Tess. All right. Brad, that what would include you? the Judith Beasley slash Antler Dance. Uh, I've got to throw debate 76 in. It's a good sketch. It's a good, I mean, really it just because it's set, A, it's very good and it just sets the template for 49 more years, 48 more years. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, and, t- and, Tess, and Tess and the Antler Dance. Yeah. Those are yeah. Good. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Those were my three that I thought uh, were call outs. The only other piece that I really liked, and this was short and sweet, I thought was the phone company bit uh, where she was earnest. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. it was so oh, that's, well uh, I, I would add that then. Yeah, I would. I Yes, I would say yeah. it's one of my favorites yeah. too. That It's just. There's there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, no misses. No, it's there's not. No misses. No. Well, this was great. This was a really fun show. Dennis, Dennis this thank was you so wonderful much. Wonderful having you here. Thank, thank you for you. having me on. Keep me in mind for the Gene Demanian period, please. I beg you. <laughs> if we make it to season five and we decide to keep going, I'm just, there's, you a, pretty good, make there's it. a pretty good odds we just jumped that whole season six through 10. <laughs> Oh, no, you got to do Domanian. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? There's like this revisionist view of the Domanian period. Like, it's not as bad as people think, you know, and actually there's some really great material. You know, comedy is subjective and all that jazz. But I mean, it's I I watched again because I'm an old man. I watched the Domanian season in real time. Mm. And I remember at the time like going, what the fuck is this? Uh, well, thank you again for thank you for being having here. me. I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, it's a treat. Thank you. If anyone out there hasn't read Mr. Mike by Dennis Perrin, go get it and read it. It's wonderful. Uh, and Dennis, you have a new podcast, yeah, with uh, William Ham, who you might know or know of, called Laughing at Others, which was from O'Donoghue, but I didn't name it. <laughs> William named it. <laughs> we did one already. It was about SNL pre-tapes, the yep. history of pre-tapes from Albert Brooks on. Yeah. I don't know if you heard it, but anyway, yeah. it's out. Yeah. And we have two in the can, one about Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, and the definitive dissection of Fridays. Nice. That's, That's yeah, great. I'm looking forward to that one. Awesome. Well, thank you again. This was wonderful. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I, I love I, I love your podcast. I really do oh, listen to it. Uh, I don't know if I'll listen to this one, but but I'll probably the one after. <laughs> well, <laughs> next week we're talking about season two, episode two, with host Norman Lear and musical guest Boz Skaggs. So until then, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.